Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ask a Leader. I'm your host. Welcome you to the September 2, that's the day after Labor Day, September 2, 2014 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, my guests for the whole show will be Kurt Weston, Henry Klassen, and Leslie Davis, artists and scientists collaborating on an exhibit entitled The Art of Stem Cells. It opens this Saturday evening in Santa Ana. We'll cover it extensively here after a very short station break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. My guests for the whole hour are artists Kurt Weston, Leslie Davis, and UCI ophthalmologist, neuroscientist Henry Klassen, whom all have been collaborating in the art of stem cells at the Orange County Contemporary Center for Art. I call that the OCCCCCCCA gallery. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a sci-art exhibit with the scientists of the Sue and Bill Gross Stem Cell Research Center at UC Irvine. Let's begin introducing Kurt Weston, who earned his Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Photography from Columbia College in Chicago, and his Master's of Fine Arts in Photography from California State University, Fullerton. A legally blind photographer, Kurt first established his career with 15 years in fashion and who's later shown his altered views and perspectives along an extensive trail of exhibitions from the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. to the Berkeley Art Museum to the Muckenthaler Cultural Center in nearby Fullerton. As recently as last year, he was selected by the Orange County Metro Magazine, here's the drum roll, as <laughs> one of Orange County's hot 25 Orange County's most influential people of the year. But I'm, I'm thinking all three are influential, even if the journal hasn't reached them yet. That's right. Then we have on today Professor Henry Claussen. He is on the line. The other two are in the studio. Dr. Claussen is a professor and director of the Stem Cell and Retinal Regeneration Program at UCI's branch of the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, also known as CERN. He completed, I believe it was all three degrees, your BA, MD, and PhD at the University of Pittsburgh? Uh, actually, BA was at UC Berkeley. Berkeley. It was, it's tucked in that Vita, it, but <laughs> it doesn't show up as Berkeley there. We're, we're trying to make the connections. It, the, this, uh, all of these degrees were then followed by an internship at the Cambridge Hospital, Harvard Medical School, and residency uh, of ophthalmology at Yale's Eye Center. Then Dr. Claussen was director of the stem cell research at Children's Hospital of Orange County, then moved to the Singapore Eye Research Institute before UCI's Department of Ophthalmology recruited him. Finally, we have with us artist Leslie Davis, who is in fact the curator of the art of stem cells. Leslie Davis works in the flat, hot, and torch work glass medium and caustic painting, which I looked up, it's also known as hot wax painting, and she works with welded steel. Her training began at the Alliance Francaise in Paris, France, and then j jumps directly in her, uh, on both sides at the Orange Coast, Glendale, Pasadena Community Colleges, and continued as she made her way through such illustrious centers as the Pilchuck Glass School, the Pratt Fine Art Center, both in the Puget Sound region the Washington State, She's exhibited her work in the Pilchuck Territory as well as extensively here in our very midst, perhaps a dozen times at the Orange County Contemporary Center for Art. She's got a life pass there. 
Well, we, they all joined me, with the exception of Dr. Henry Clausen. Leslie and Kurt joined me in Studio A. Welcome to the show, Kurt, Henry, and Leslie. Thank you. Thank you very much, Claudia. Thank you. Well, let's start with Leslie Davis, the instigator, the <laughs> catalyst, and eventually the curator for this exhibit. You have an extensive repertoire linking art with medicine. Where and how did you start? Well, here, let's say on the, you can, a little bit about that background and then how you got started with this current exhibit. Well, uh, for about the last 15 years, my interest has totally changed to um, bringing education about medical researchers and the work that they're doing. It's so um, mysterious to the public in general and the two never seem to get too much of a chance to interact. I was given a book by a researcher about uh, Paul Farmer that was about his life's work in Haiti, helping to raise the care for HIV. And he was not even a doctor yet, just a Harvard student. And I was so inspired by reading that book that I wanted to make a piece of art that would bring recognition to him and to help educate people in general about HIV. And from that point, I started gathering other researchers. I would ask every doctor, every person I met about, did they have a researcher that they thought was outstanding above the rest? And little by little, the same name would come up again and again. And that's how my very first show in 2005 was on uh, regeneration. And it was basically about stem cells. Um, actually, I did the show on viruses first that were the uh, three diseases that Bill Gates pledged himself and his finances to curing in his lifetime. Then I moved on to doing regeneration that was on stem cells. Then Oka Group took on doing the art of uh, digital, um, gosh, digital imaging. Images. And that we went to the hospital and they let us use their machines and take MRIs of our feet or heads or whatever. And we all made conceptual art about that. But near and dear to my heart still were all the researchers here at the new um, Sue and Bill Gross uh, Stem Cell Center. And so in January, they supported us in doing this show. And 34 artists came over in January to meet and greet with the scientists there. And after listening about their labs, the artists were then taken into the labs and educated about what the research was about. And the show that opens this uh, September the 6th at 6 o'clock at OCA is the pro uh, what has come out of that collaboration. And we'll give ample details about the where and when and the who, of course, throughout the whole uh, coverage today. So. Here, uh, yeah, you got you talked about those thirty-four artists. We're down to twenty-eight. Uh, yes, so they they hung in there. Uh, so, what kind of reception did you get? Let's say uh, from 
let's both ways just in general we're going to get into some very specific parts here but what was your general uh, reception that you got at the outset of starting to curate uh, search around for participants well in the very beginning when i proposed this show to the oka members in 2005 on viruses um, i got great resistance uh, they told me nobody wants to see a show about death and dying and here I wanted to do one on malaria, tuberculosis type 2, uh, HIV, um, and I actually did a piece on uh, breast cancer. Uh, I pushed through, I went ahead and did the show and it was such a hit. We were covered um, in four different magazines art critics. We had uh, KOC come out and film us and it was a very big hit. It was still a new idea. This idea of art science, of melding together art with science really was not um, a known term at that time. In this area, but it, oh, and we're going to talk about that. There's more and more literature now that's picking up on Thank God. Where, where the art world, where science are all seeing there's some very intensely collaborative opportunities. So I, now while we're doing the sort of the front end of all this, I'd like to have uh, both Kurt and you talk about what it was like when you first met your shared medical contexts and art. So I don't know if you want to say, Kurt, let's have you uh, talk to that introduction to Leslie Davis. Okay, thank you, Claudia. Actually, it's kind of interesting because uh, Claudia and I got connected uh, through the AIDS walk this year, Orange County Leslie, AIDS walk. I haven't, did we, uh, no, you mean Leslie. Leslie, I, I'm sorry. I haven't met you yet till today. Yeah, I know, I'm sorry. That's fine. I met Leslie and I had uh, reconnected at um, the AIDS walk Orange County. Um, we both had art showing there this year and she approached me and told me that she was really excited about the stem cell show that she was putting together at OCCCA and wanted to know if I would be interested and of course I am uh, would be tremendously interested considering that um, I am a person living with HIV AIDS in fact it was through HIV AIDS that I became legally blind to an AIDS related condition called CMV retinitis she had told me that she was going to have Dr. Clausen do a lecture and she wanted to invite me to that which was you know, something I really wanted to do. And when I went to the lecture um, in Laguna, I was very impressed by the amount of research that had been done and that was, you know, continuing to be done and that there was a possibility that these stem cell treatments could maybe eventually potentially help me to regenerate my own vision. So I was... Um, very, very excited to hear what Dr. Clausen had to show and what he had to say regarding that. And of course, that inspired the work that I um, have created for this particular show. Right. You have two pieces in there. Um, there's, I think, three or three pieces. Oh, I, oh okay. I, I have three, two that are appearing in the catalog. Okay, that's where I fall off the, the shelf. It's okay. <laughs> off the, the, uh, the, the uh, easel there. So, um, then, as you said, you, your diagnosis and subsequent treatment have led to this, the complications of your losing sight. And so you, like no other artist, participate. And you've got lots of skin in this game, <laughs> collaborating <laughs> with, with the clinician who's working on regenerating retinal tissue. So, and uh, Dr. Klaus, we know you're there. We're just working our way toward the, uh, the infancy mm -hmm. of this. So, yes, did you, you, well, 
So uh, did you approach him or did Leslie approach him to, t to collaborate in this? And Dr. Klassen, chime in any time that they have it n not as vivid as you would like it to be. Well, um, Leslie had actually suggested that I team up with Dr. Clausen. I think she knew that what a f wonderful fit, the fact that here Dr. Clausen was working with stem cell regeneration of the retina. Right. And I am legally blind due to retinal damage. So I, th I think there was a wonderful um, idea of collaborating with this sp specific researcher, which, you know, I, I agree was a wonderful combination. Okay, so those of you, if you just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, where my guests are artists Kurt Weston, Leslie Davis, and neuroscientist Dr. Henry Claussen, all contributing in many ways, art and or science, to the soon-to-open exhibit entitled The Art of Stem Cells. So I will start with the kind of a, the easier sort of language frames of reference how everyone was able to see this project. How did the artists fathom the science, and how did you choose those artists? You said 38 came. How, Leslie, did you choose those artists, uh, given the reaches and the depths of you know, their, uh, let's say, their literacy in uh, both the art and science? Absolutely. Um, I did curate this show truly based on the artists willing to do um, a conceptual piece. There's many pieces of medical art that are um, reproductions of what they see under a microscope or um, uh, life science, physical drawings, anatomy, illustrations that are beautiful, but that is not my vision. I think the public in general has a difficult time learning from that. For me, I wanted artists that were willing to to step out of the box and have a real feeling coming from within from having not only met the researcher but then done investigative work themselves and every single one of these artists did that well we at the exhibit now there, there's the brochure that the catalog that shows slides of the the scientists work now will we see those images at the gallery no those don't Oh, is now that's interesting. That was a, an, a, a concerted uh, sort of, that was an, uh, an intentional choice not to have those around. Um, it wasn't really so much an intentional choice. It was the, um, the opening of the, the last floor at um, the Bill Gross Center had, um, they had what they call a, f a friend fundraiser where they invited a number of guests to come and the artwork, the only artwork that they had were the new slides that they had printed. And so that show was just done in May. And you can't really learn a lot about the research by looking at the slide per se. So this is, we're really bringing recognition to the researchers that have dedicated their lives and oftentimes without a single breakthrough and True. we don't know their names the, these are people that should be on the like Kobe Bryant or you know 
uh, Tom Brady. We should know these people. We should know who Aileen Anderson is. We should know who Dr. Peter Donovan is. Well, I've done my best. I put Brian Cummings and Aileen Aileen Anderson on about two and a half years ago. So that was I gave them the whole hour too. But uh, so and it, Henry Clausen. Yes. Henry, we got him not on. to forget our dear boy Henry, who we, is also an artist and has made art for the show. Okay, those on are my eyes. those are questions I'm impl- in. Uh, considering coming right up here so uh then let's let's you talked about the 28 artists uh, we've got 28 artists we're with and 23 scientists meeting interviewing and touring their laboratory so you talked a little bit about perineurine well let's let's explore then with dr Claussen, um having sp- spoken uh with the one artist who felt deficient in their uh understanding dr Claussen, uh she thought that some of the uh she felt deficient in the language of some of the science but uh i'm getting some interesting, um, I want to look along this continuum of understanding of science and art and how far do an artist and science move together, move toward each other in understanding their respective languages and seeing each other's work. So tell us about your, let's see, let's first have you mention what your retinal regeneration work is about and then I'd like to ask you what kind of art you're working with. So that That'll take us until about 30 minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so I got my start um, back uh, in my collegiate days at Berkeley, and um, at some point during your undergraduate program, uh, you're forced with a decision to pick a major, and I was having a tough time with that. Um, and then suddenly they announced there was going to be a new major called neurobiology, and I said, that's the one I want. So it was an immediate, really good fit because um, zoology was too broad and uh, psychology was too vague. <laughs> uh-huh. So neurobiology uh, promised to get at the, the how and the why and the where of how the, the mind actually comes into being by way of actual biological processes. So. You know, it's like digging into the circuits. That's what really got me excited there. Okay. And as I started to learn about it, one of the first things that they teach you as you proceed along is uh, actually a very disappointing kind of message. Now, I don't know that they teach it anymore, but back in the uh, 70s, um, there was a famous uh, dictum, if you will, from a very famous... uh, father of uh, modern neuroanatomy, whose name was uh, Santiago Ramoni Cajal, a scientist from Spain who uh, actually got the Nobel Prize for his work uh, looking at the detailed microscopic structure of the brain um, uh, over 100 years ago. So when when was his his research? Yeah, so his, his dictum was that everything in the nervous system degenerates and nothing is reborn, or words to that effect. So if you think about that from a clinical standpoint or a human standpoint, that's a rather dismal kind of uh, understanding. And it means that any damage we have to the brain, to the spinal cord, or to the retina uh, is permanent and won't go away. Uh, It won't regenerate itself. And so therein was the spark that kind of pushed me in the direction of saying, well, is that really, really true now, 100 years after uh, Cajal said it? Um, And so my career's been focused on 
what's become known now as regenerative medicine, which didn't actually exist at the time right. that I was an undergrad. He was right at, uh, up until this technology, uh, the understanding was developed and the technology uh, be, uh, became to fruition. Mm-hmm. I mean, anatomically and physiologically, that dictum held up until the science broke through to the regenerative possibilities. Yeah, and so uh, being part of this whole thing, um, I can give uh, people a little bit of an insight into where the technology and insights came from. Yes. Um, So it wasn't just people putting together different transistors or getting a better microscope. It wasn't really that kind of technology. Um, There needed to be an inspiration for how we could possibly repair something as complicated as the brain which, as everybody knows, is the most complex um, chunk of matter that we know of. So how, how would you repair that? Are you going to go in and, like, uh, plug in new synapses or what? Um, so that looked, you know, from the outset, it's pretty daunting, um, and it wasn't obvious how you could fix something of this complexity. Um, but... Uh, as I was taking neuroanatomy, I was also taking embryology. And during the embryology course, you learn how everything comes together, how, it's, how every single human and an animal starts as a fertilized egg, a single cell. And that single cell somehow gives rise to the billions and billions of cells that make up you and me right now. And those different cells are quite varied one from the other. I mean, we have red blood cells that don't even have a nucleus and carry hemoglobin around. We've got fibroblasts that can move through the tissue and close up wounds. Then we have these delicate nerve cells that can convey, you know, impulses and and, uh, harbor thoughts and so on. And, uh, And they're all hooked up together in these amazingly complex patterns. So, um, obviously, all those cells had to come from that fertilized ovum. Well, how does the fertilized ovum, which is just one cell, know how to do all this stuff? And the point really here is that we don't have to know exactly how the ovum does it, but the point is that nature does know how to do it. In other words, nature builds a brain from a single cell, and it builds the retina, the spinal cord, the entire organism from a single cell. So clearly that capability is latent within this single cell. Well, that is really the basis of stem cell science. So if you understand that, and I think everybody does, then you really have a deep intuitive understanding of what stem cell science is all about. It's how a single cell that isn't specified to be any particular cell can give rise to all the particular cells. So it involves two things. One is making lots of cells from itself, so it replicates, it self-replicates, but then those little clones of itself have to give rise to mature cell types, and every single type has to fit together like a puzzle to make the organism. So. That's just kind of a wordy way of trying to describe what a stem cell is capable of. So for every given aspect of this process, you can go in there and you can find, for instance, the cells that make the retina, and 
it starts out as a small collection of cells that don't look much like a retina, and with time they divide, they get, they make a larger tissue, and then that tissue starts to become things like rods and cones and ganglion cells, but they don't start out that way. They start out as these immature cells. So those are what we call retinal progenitors, and that's what we grow in the lab, and then we put those retinal progenitors back into somebody with a retinal disease with the idea that these immature cells hopefully carry with them this knowledge of how to make a retina, and maybe they can also repair a retina that's already broken. And basically, in simple terms, that's, that's what we're trying to harness, and that's what we see happening, is that these immature cells whose function is to make a retina if you put them in the setting of a broken retina, they will try to fix it. I hear so many visual references to what you're making, so I'm, I'd be interested in hearing a little bit about how uh, and Leslie Davis takes your uh, an interacting with you into, a, some of that is actually really three-dimensional work that you have on exhibit, uh, but I just wanted one vocabulary out of this. I, I, I just don't recall it myself, is Dr. Claussen, the point at which the cell's general, um, uh, the, the general cell, the cell is, uh, moves from the general to the more specialized kind of st cell uh, division. What's the term there again? Differentiation. Uh, there, okay. That's, I think there's, uh, and there may be even another word I'm looking for, but it's not coming. Um, there is, there's a whole lot of words. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, no swear not words, Henry. Lost no. <laughs> in the jargon, but there's fate, sorry, fate specification is a very technical, embryological word like for it. where a cell that doesn't know what it's going to become suddenly gets imprinted, if you will, and set in a particular direction. And that means, for instance, a, a retinal progenitor is specified to become retina. So it's still immature, but it, so it isn't fully differentiated yet, but it already knows that it's going to be retina. It's been directed into a certain pathway. And I know that all these references to retina get Kurt Weston so excited here in Studio A. So we're, if, you're, if you've just joined us, we're hearing for the most part in a, a very clinical, privileged kind of way, Dr. Henry Claussen at UCI. Both, I don't know if you consider yourself a neuroscientist or an ophthalmologist, I, or both. Well, I started as a neuroscientist, and then I w got the full training in ophthalmology. Yes. Um, and the reason I went into ophthalmology is that my neuroscience background uh, was in neural tissue transplantation. So before we had stem cells, we were transplanting, developing embryonic tissue. For instance, for my PhD, I took these um, embryonic retinas that hadn't formed. They were beginning to become a retina, but they hadn't differentiated yet. Uh -huh. They didn't have rods and cones, so they were full of immature cells. And then we transplanted those into uh, newborn rats and just put them in the brain of the rat. So it's a intracranial retinal transplant. Sounds a little Frankensteinian, mm -hmm. and it was. <laughs> but uh, what I found out is those, those um, retinas were able to make functional connections to the host brain. So as the animal grew up, 
the retina, the graft in its brain also matured. And as it matured, not only did it develop the rods and cones, but it made these connections to the host brain. And by flashing a light on this retina deep in the brain, because the brain uh, is not so dark that it can't pass light through it. So I could flash light directed wow. into the brain. Um, and then um, the, the information of this light would stimulate the retina. The retina would send an impulse into the host brain and it would cause the host pupils to constrict just as your pupils would constrict if you step out into the bright sun. So um, in that way, we knew that the brain understood there was a light being shined on it, but it only knew this because there was this retinal transplant in there. So what we're talking about is making new connections in the mammalian nervous system. So um, that was kind of pivotal to moving this neural regenerative type of... Uh, idea forward with the idea that we don't have to just play around and move chunks of tissue, but we can actually start rebuilding circuits. Okay. Doctor, um, yes. Now, it sounded easy. It wasn't. No. And it was <laughs> hard to do that in a lot of other contexts. So um, the bizarreness, the Frankensteinian nature of it was because that's, what, that's the kind of gymnastics we had to do to achieve this type of circuit uh, reconstruction. Um, so the challenge there was, how do we go from this kind of crazy looking model in a rat to something that's clinically useful? And that's what propelled me into ophthalmology. Because I said, you know, um, rebuilding the brain isn't something we're gonna get around to very soon. Um, I think that rebuilding the retina has a uh, is a, a lower bar from a clinical standpoint. And as an MD-PhD, yes. I was very concerned about, um, you know, getting some clinical traction out of this whole thing yes. that I've been working on my whole life. So um, that's what got me into the retina. I, I saw the retina as a very conducive place for regenerative medicine from a neurological standpoint. Okay. Um, there's other areas of regenerative medicine that are also uh, very appealing, like reconstituting the bone marrow and so on. Um, and those are actually uh, at the forefront of stem cell science. But the nervous system, is, as I described earlier, is this part of the body that's been very, very difficult to treat. Yes. Um, and so any kind of progress there could have huge impact on the patient's. Um, for whom there's really almost nothing to offer in terms of regaining any kind of function that's been lost. Doctor, yes, Dr. Clausen, I want to now go move from the brain uh, that you're working on to Leslie Davis's brain. She's hearing, uh -oh. <laughs> she's hearing you explain. She's seeing maybe some of your work. So she is now taking the, your relay and making something else, a, a graphic rendering of something with other entirely unrelated media. So what was going on in your mind conceptualizing what Dr. Claussen is talking about, Leslie Davis? Well, I actually did not make work for Dr. Claussen's uh, lab because so many of the artists all wanted to make art for about the eyes. The eyes, I think, are absolutely the window to the soul, and it's where um, so many people relate. They relate themselves, and so... 
Is this better? No. Okay. And so um, the people that did do the work, uh, I suggested ideas to a number of artists of how they might make a conceptual uh, piece of work about it. And so when Dr. Clausen would explain the difference between um, macular degeneration as opposed to retinal pigmentosa, how the eye actually sees with these diseases, then we had so many beautiful pieces of work come in with that idea where the loss of vision is in the center of the eye or is the loss of vision on the outside of the eye and what is left to see. And I think um, Kirk's pieces are the strongest in the show on Henry's work that really they're paintings of basically what he can see. Exactly. They're very figurative aspects. And so let's, I'm sure Kurt has so much to say hearing Dr. Clausen's long, long, steady uh, work toward this holy grail of getting your retina to work. So uh, what what are your reactions to hearing this whole science yet again? Well, again, I'm thrilled because I've been legally blind since 1996. And of course, as a visual artist and a photographer, it was devastating to me to become legally blind. And when I I, I realized that uh, his main focus of research right now is particularly on retinita, retina, retinita pigmentosa, but I know that eventually this, once it's FDA approved for the treatment of that, it could lead to treatment uh, for someone like me. Now, my art in the show is yes. not... Um, um, a literal interpretation of the actual stem cell um, regeneration. It, mine is much more of a metaphorical artwork, the artworks that I've generated for these um, shows. So um, I have um, I have generated um, one piece in for particular. I, this was kind of inspired by Dr. Clausen's lecture where he showed that the stem cells had to be uh, interocularly injected into the eyeball. So I thought, well, I could do a literal, um, you know, uh, kind of image of that. But I thought, no, it'd be more interesting to do something more metaphorical. So I actually, one of my pieces is called Targeted Treatment. Yes. And it it shows a a woman, a model-type woman, fashion-y, sort of looking with a a bullseye and a dart sticking out of her eye. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so I'm kind of, you know, being a little, having a little fun with this. Yes. So, because, you know, the thought of having an interocular injection into your eyeball is not a very pleasant thought. So I thought, well, why don't we take that concept and just kind of play around with it a little bit and have a little fun with it so it doesn't seem as as fearful or scary of a a thing to have to have done you know right so uh, yeah and then I have uh, I like to play around with different layers and different um, things that are dissolving and and, uh, into the background and coming up into the foreground so there's another piece that I I have called worldview yes where the model is actually uh, holding the planet earth in a gloved hand right in front of her eye. And that sort of planet becomes, to me, um, representative of the stem cell. And the fact that it's positioned directly in front of the eye, indicating, again, the possibility of regeneration. So the world sort of regenerating, the eye regenerating, uh, all of this really good positive potential 
um, is just to me um, really exciting, really exciting to, to have as the possibility of maybe someday, maybe it's 10 years down the line, I'll still have the po- opportunity to get better vision. The, the world being maybe the, the symbol of that stem cell or of complete vision, all seeing sort of the end result. It's a, we could go everywhere, but there will be a few notes to jog our thinking at the, at the exhibit of what you're saying in this, these two pieces. Yes. Okay. And there's and many other artists working along these lines, um, sort of taking it to the next level, um, in a, and and not so working in such a literal way, but in a more metaphorical or, like Leslie said, a conceptual manner. Well, I guess I, uh, yes, Leslie um, Leslie Davis. Yes, I'd like to add that a wonderful group uh, of bright young minds out of the IT robotic uh, biological uh, group came to me and said they're putting together a new platform called Kalari, and they are doing our show all that'll be all synced up with a free app and you can just press the app and listen to an audio by the artist about his work so that you not only can read all the information that's there on the wall but you can hear an artist's description just like Kurt gave to help see the artist's insight of why he created what he did. And that's necessary though for the Kurt's that are coming in. They're they're all to be served. And also to just many times the art <coughs> is received on many levels yes. by different people, uh, how they visualize it, how they take it in. And it's it's oftentimes very different than what the artist's concept was. So it's interesting that you can have both aspects at this show. I want to hear all three of you in sort of a brief stroke address the notion that there is a close connection. Of there, I first was had lots of questions about the continuum, but I'm dropping those now, the continuum of, of art and science meeting. But I want to get right to where I think that, that uh, intersection is occurring or the convergence on a continuum is the, the graphic work that artists do and the pattern detection that scientists do. I mean, I see a complete connection with those creative and illustrious enterprises. Can, uh, who would like to take that up and how large a part that those are together. Well, yes, Leslie? I'm happy to go first because before this term sci-art was coined, um, I was already thinking this way of how, how can I help get a vision to the public about this researcher's work who lives in an ivory tower who is keeping his sleeping bag underneath his lab table. We don't get to meet them, greet with them. We get, don't even get to know what their their work is about. Oftentimes it has been cloistered. So that was where I started in the first place. And now there's, um, I can't tell you the number of artists that have come to me now to be in this show that I just didn't have room for and told them I was the saving for our next show, I would definitely consider them top-notch artists in this field that say, I've been looking for years to do art that has some validity, that has some meaning, that isn't just creating an image on a paper. And this idea of being involved in doing something that is helping this a field, medical art, helping it progress, has been major for me for the last 12 years. 
Is there a graphic component, Dr. Claussen, that um, a pattern detection that that aids you in seeing what is happening scientifically? Well, pattern detection, and here I'm going to be analytical, my neurobiology background coming out. Um, pattern detection is a fundamental characteristic of a visual system. So um, the visual system is not only something I'm studying, it's not only something I'm trying to repair, but it's something I use every day to um, interact with what I'm working on. Um, and in particular, it's very important during the scientific process. Now, um, I think of art as a form of communication, um, and science, a lot of it involves communication. So the precision and the jargon uh, are necessary to communicate in extremely precise terms mm -hmm. so that what we find can be replicated um, because you can't take a really um, kind of uh, more impressionistic approach to the science when you're communicating among scientists. But there's entire aspects of this process that are creative and that can be communicated to other people, and you don't have to use the jargon of science, which can even put me to sleep sometimes. So um, the key here is to communicate in a visual language, if you will, um, through art is one way to do that. Um, and I think science has a rich, very rich uh, source of, of what you might call source material that, you know, you can build into art in, in literally infinite number of ways um, that could potentially communicate aspects of the scientific endeavor that just can't be communicated with mathematics or, or really heavy jargon. Um, so although that stuff is important internally, um, I want to take a risky metaphor in this, like, yes. you know, you can enjoy Japanese culture before you actually know Japanese. Got it. Got it. Um, so uh, if you know how to uh, say the uh, frog haiku in Japanese, as I do, maybe that gives you a little insight into Japanese culture you didn't have before you could do that. But right. you could still go there. And you could walk through Kyoto and you could go through the shrines and you could still take in a whole lot of information that really communicates to you what the deal is there, um, that you don't actually have to know the formal language. For those of you who've just joined us, we have on here, this is Dr. Henry Claussen, UCI neuroscience ophthalmologist, Kurt Weston, artist and Leslie Davis artist and curator for the up-and-coming exhibit opening on Saturday at the Orange County Center for Contemporary Art, Art of Stem Cells, the name of the exhibit. And I want to have Kurt Weston also talk about your pattern uh, identification. It's a bit different. It's an internal graphic system working. Can you address what has already been said about that convergence of the science and the graphic art? Sure. Probably my most iconic body of work is called Blind Vision, which has the shows the troll or a representation of my vision loss, and it is um, very graphic in that it shows uh, things like my um, I have something called floaters, which these like spider web type things that float in front of my vision, and in a lot of the images you see me um, sort of trying to push those um, 
those obstructions mm -hmm. um, away from my vision. Um, so I, I had to come up with um, a graphic way of representing yes. those obstructions. And, to, and that's a clinical matter. So that, right. that is the, the convergence of both. Right, right. And it's kind of interesting, too. Uh, I was listening to Dr. Clausen speak, and there's something that is in his lecture that I think is really fascinating yes. and I think very artistic in, in the science of it. Um, they have to differentiate the stem cell uh, of the retina from, from the actual stem cell from the transplanted new uh, cell. So they, they have to create a phosphorescence. To so, tag them, sort of. Right. Thing. So they know which is the original uh, uh, retinal cell and oh. what is the new introduced stem cell right. and how it integrates with that retina. And so through, um, I guess, Dr. Clausen, you would know more details about that, but it's just fascinating to see in the lecture, in the slide presentation, how you see these green phosphorescent cells um, that are the stem cell integrating with the actual retina. And so you can know which, which cells are which and that this therapy is actually working. Right. Um, so one of the important things to understand about stem cell science is that um, unless we had these bright fluorescent markers for our cells, uh, our field would have ground to a halt um, mm -hmm. particularly in the central nervous system regeneration efforts, for the simple reason that even though the therapy might have been working, we wouldn't have been able to figure that out because we'd look at a retina and we'd say, oh, well, that looks like a pretty good retina. And unless you can tag where the stem cells ended up and see that they actually turned into new rods and cones or turned into ganglion cells and started sending axons in the optic nerve, until you can actually see that happening, you look at it and you just think, well, that's just a normal retina. Okay. <laughs> um, wow. So you, and, and because of the background, the deep scientific understanding that retinas don't regenerate in mammals, you would assume that if you saw a normal retina, that it wasn't because the stem cells made it normal, you'd think, oh, it probably wasn't that messed up to begin with. Hmm. Um, so, in other words, the people who found these amazing results had a huge amount of skepticism going into it, and it was the labeling of the cells, the fact that we could make sure that they were glowing fluorescent colors, that we could say, look, look, see that red cell there? See what it's doing? It's unbelievable. It's actually making new uh, part of the retina. Wow. And so um, it was those stunning images that just kind of catapulted this field forward back around the, the late 1990s and into the year 2000. So and won't this um, also fluorescence was critical to this. Right, and won't this uh, phosphorescence? Um, lead to FDA help with the FDA approval of the treatment? Um, well, the, <laughs> using fluorescent stem cells is not going to help you get through the FDA with human cells just because the fluorescence comes from a jellyfish gene. <laughs> so yeah. what that means is your cells actually have an uh, alien protein in them. And so the, the FDA is going to look at that somewhat suspiciously and rightly so. Okay. But what it does is give you the, 
very concrete proof of principle in the animal model where you go, look at that. You know, we definitively tagged mm -hmm. the cells that right. we put in, and look what they did. We can see it because they're glowing. Um, but what's really artistic about this is that these different fluorescent images with the different glowing colors are, are really quite spectacular. So it's turned biology from this kind of uh, dismal science into uh, something very, very colorful and uh, visually intriguing. And, in and you can see a lot of the patterns of, of the natural biology underlying this, all of which is, uh, like I say, it's, it's something spectacular to see. I would like for all three of you to um, answer, the, uh, apart from the, there is a fundraising component to this exhibit, I, but I yes, want, there is. so that's one takeaway, but I <clears> want <throat> to find out from all three of you, we'll start, we'll start with Kurt, uh, what do you want the patrons coming to this exhibit for the month that it will be installed, what do you want the patrons to take away from what they're presented? Well, I think um, one of the most important factors, and Dr. Clausen also made mention of this, is that art is um, good art when it takes you and helps you to perceive another level, uh, takes you into perceiving or thinking about the world in a different way. And what I'm hoping that uh, viewers of the show come and uh, appreciate is that um, when they see the art, is that their idea of what stem cells are and what they can do is um, increased um, in terms of their desire to understand it better, to understand what the potential is, and have the art take them and um, maybe have a, have give them a new perspective on um, on the whole concept of science and how science could be used to benefit in a very positive manner um, the human condition. Greater science literacy. Yes. Especially in our, our society. Well, that's great. Leslie, did you want to? Uh, yes, I'd I'm really. I'm sure as a curator, you already you started out with a litany <laughs> of takeaways you want the patrons to have. Yes, but the, the most important, especially with this show, um, is to, ha I'm hoping that the contact will, um, between the public and the researchers and the art will help dispel some misconceptions that exist about stem cells and stem cell research. There's many myths out there. The field has moved along so far and yet people are stuck back in such a negative view from our last administration and whatnot of what stem cells are and what they represent to people. And the more positive they feel about this field, the more that they are free to donate and fund and support. And I think this knowledge uh, will help. The f this field is moving at lightning speed. Every three months, I talked to some of these researchers, and what they told me three months ago is no longer valid because well. they've moved forward from that. And many, many of this 10-year research is now in human studies and starting to become available for treatment. And, uh, and this, every artist that's in this show is donating 50% of the sales of their work to the Stem Cell Research Center here on campus directly to the Sue and Bill Gross Center to all these researchers. Dr. Clausen, what do you want to have folks take away? <laughs> Well, what I see happening here, and um, especially listening to Kurt, uh, 
is that the science, which I'm involved in on a daily basis, um, but it's kind of hermetically sealed uh, in the mm -hmm. Petri dish, if you will. So it's, it's like the science stays in the scientific domain. And here we have uh, the science spilling into the cultural domain. We have this kind of sizzling froth where the, the science, which has been this kind of hidden thing, is now reacting to the culture, yes. and the culture's reacting to the science. And now you, you get this kind of uh, interesting output uh, that's a kind of hybrid, uh, and, the, and you see a kind of cultural interpretation of the science. I think that's going to be really fascinating. And I, there's a, there's a whole continuum of um, kind of uh, of the the spoof to amazingly serious content, and I just want a, a shout out to uh, to about Jane Sabo's contribution. I think a lot of you neighbors up there, at Uni Hills, and uh, others around on campus, you're going to recognize uh, a couple who's been at it for a long time, and she's capturing them on this kind of a spoofy end, and it and it gets uh, intensely serious uh, along the continuum of the, of all the contributions. I need to make sure we all know the who, where, what, how, and why. We heard the why and the how. September 6th through October 10th. You've got just a month, folks, to catch this. It's the Orange County Center for Contemporary Art in Santa Ana. It's the first Saturday the, um, art walk in Santa Ana. This particular location, it's the 117 North Sycamore Street in Santa Ana. And uh, it is a very, very special setting on the opening night um, with all the other nearby galleries and ateliers that are going to be open. Yes, Leslie Davis. Um, there's just one more bit of information yes. that you don't have is that we received a grant to provide um, two-hour art class on the opening on October the 4th, which is the, our second opening of this show before we close. And we are going to teach um, a class in 8 by 10 squares of stained glass to make stem cells of glass. And we wow. will have examples of uh, that's another reason why you see in the catalog all the pictures of the stem cells yes. under the microscope. And uh, the mostly, we're really only uh, having adults, so we don't have anybody get cut on the glass. But I think this will be a fascinating aspect for somebody to come in and make their own art, and it's all free. Well, that is amazing. Um, I'm glad to hear about that part, too, that, that there will be a second opening. That's October 4, folks, to print your calendar. Yes. The, the 10th is the last day of the actual exhibit. Yeah. So what I'm, uh, so folks can... It's at the opening. Uh, all the scientists are going to be there that contributed on, yes. the, the, on September 6th. Now, October yes. 4th, will some of the scientists be back? Yes, they will. Okay, good. So, But what I'm having fun envisioning is the, the regular art walk crowd walking into the Center for Contemporary Art, and they are going to run into all these scientists. I want to see that <laughs> collision course. So uh, that's, that's a treat. So um, I'm going to post all of the uh, particulars on the podcast summary. The regular hours for this gallery is are Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, 12 to 5 p.m., Friday, 12 to 8 p.m. The number for more information, 714-667-667. 1517. 
Thank you all for being on the show, and it's really been good to have oh. you, Kurt, and Leslie in the studio, and I look forward to seeing all of you and your colleagues at Saturday Night's Opening. My guests have been photographer Kurt Weston, glass artist and curator Leslie Davis, and UCI neuroscientist Dr. Henry Claussen, all contributing their trades to the exhibit entitled The Art of Stem Cell Opening the Saturday. Thank you all so very much. Thank you, thank Claudia. You, Just want to make sure you know what we're going to do next week. I'll be featuring UCI anthropologist Victoria Bernal, who will talk about her recently released book, Nation as Network, the diaspora cyberspace and citizenship based on her both heady and personal research dealing with the Northern African nation of Eritrea. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>